Coming up on this week's show, we talk to Rome Parrish about Rays, the latest in the Riven series. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome, everyone, to episode 196 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from WillCanals.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hello, everybody. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are glad that you're here for another week, another um, great show. Well, we think it's great. Uh, we hope you think <laughs> it's great as well. Um, worth noting, this past week, uh, specifically on July 2nd, we hit the exact middle of the calendar year. That's right. 2019 is now half over. Oh, my God. Um, now, yeah, don't panic. <laughs> Don't panic. If 2019 has not gone the way that you've wanted, uh, there is still plenty of time to turn it around. Uh, Don't get upset. It's all good. (laughs) Six whole months are laid out ahead of you. Everything Um, is fine. Yeah. So I took a sort of a quick look at my 2019, uh, and it's been okay. It's been okay. And Jeff and I are working on some interesting things coming up in the next couple of weeks and months uh, that will hopefully make 2019 even better. High school hockey player, computer whiz, covert agent. Theo Reese's life is split between being a normal teenager and a secret agent who goes by the code name Winger. After years of providing mission support from behind his keyboard, He's thrust into an unexpected world of adventure and danger. In Audio Assault, the third thrilling book in the Codename Winger series by Jeff Adams, a family friend needs urgent help. Theo is off to New York City, where he uncovers an insidious plot. Popular song files have been modified to steal personal data and emit a tone that drives some listeners into a homicidal rage. Theo races against the clock to stop the music from causing worldwide chaos. Anna at Gay Book Reviews says, The twists the plot took were so unexpected and exciting that I just couldn't put it down. Get Audio Assault, an ebook or paperback, at Amazon and other online retailers. We hope everyone had a wonderful July 4th weekend. Um, we spent the time indoors um, <laughs> while the rest of the world was out enjoying themselves uh, and either binging Stranger Things or going to see Spider-Man. Uh, we stayed indoors. Uh, Jeff was on a deadline. Uh, he was busy. He had some stuff to do. It's true. But that doesn't mean that we have not been partaking of the entertainments that um, (laughs) summer 2019 has to offer. Here are a few of the things that have caught our attention in the last couple of weeks. Uh, First of all, uh, on television, uh, American Ninja Warrior has come back strong as ever. Mm -hmm. We are very much enjoying that. It's one of our favorite summer shows. Also, Pose has come back for season two, uh, and it has come out with Guns Blazing. The second season is, like, angry, and it's political, and it's heartfelt, and it is utterly amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once again, we're going to highly recommend, if you have not checked out Pose, please do so. It is every... What what night is it on? Season two is Tuesday nights on FX, and if you're behind the times, season one is on Netflix right now. Yeah, be sure and check that out. Uh, a quick note, uh, something that we missed in June, uh, as part of the American Masters series on PBS, they had a documentary about Terrence McNally. It's called Terrence McNally, Every Act of Life. And... Um, 
as most of the PBS documentaries do in this particular series, um, they cover the breadth of an artist's career uh, from the beginning to the present day, and that's what it does in this particular case, uh, highlighting uh, Terrence's humble beginnings in Texas and uh, uh, spotlighting his uh, career on the Broadway stage on everything he's done. Um, what really stood out with this particular documentary is um, honestly the breadth of Terrence McNally's work. He's been doing this a really long time and uh, he's done some really amazing things. Something else that struck me is is that the um, high profile star power that has <laughs> have taken part uh, in his work over the years. Uh, that's not only highlighted by the sort of like talking heads documentary style um, that this show has, but um, the numerous clips from all of the productions um, that have been done of his work over the years. Um, I think it's really worth watching for that alone. If you're mm -hmm. kind of a, a Broadway or theater geek, um, I, we highly recommend checking out Terrence McNally, Every Act of Life. The thing that struck me most in that too, besides what you mentioned, is they shined a spotlight on the tremendous career highs that he's had but also that he's had some epic disasters too in terms of critical reception to the work or box office reception to the work but he just keeps going and i think that was a great message for any of the creatives out there too exactly something else that we just started recently watching is a show on abc called grand hotel uh this is a new soap opera from ava longoria and a couple of years ago uh uh, Ava was on a show called Telenovela, and it was a workplace comedy uh, based around a, a cast and the sort of shenanigans that go on behind the scenes of a telenovela. Um, that show, unfortunately, was woefully underappreciated. I love that show so very much. But this time, Ava has come back strong with an actual telenovela. Mm -hmm. uh, she's taken the sort of primetime soap opera and like goosed it up with lots of sex and lots of glamour. Um, Grand Hotel is about a family-owned hotel on the strip on South Beach. Uh, and all the, the wild things that all of the characters get up to. Um, if you're uh, in the mood for something uh, soapy and sexy, uh, definitely give Grand Hotel a look. Mm -hmm. uh, one other show that we are definitely enjoying is a show called Good Trouble, and that's uh, currently begun its second season on Freeform. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we sort of binged the first season because we missed that the first time around. So we got caught up uh, for the second season, which just started, uh, and I really, really like this show. I, I like it far more than I ever expected to. Yeah. Um, Good Trouble is essentially a spinoff of a show called The Fosters, and it follows two characters from that show uh, as they are sort of moving into their adult lives. Uh, Callie and Mariana are essentially the anchor of the show but good trouble is really sort of an ensemble drama it's about a bunch of 20 somethings in a co-living situation trying to make it in la uh one of the standout characters is a guy named gael he's this sort of artistic bisexual dreamboat uh that everyone is in love with i could just talk forever about gael mm -hmm. um but um uh as i said i really enjoy this show because i think it tackles some interesting uh weighty political topics without being like really uh heavy-handed about yeah. it mm -hmm. uh it's about how millennials are navigating this uh incredibly complicated uh world that we are now living in and one of the most recent episodes uh focused on gael's sister who is trans and for her 30th birthday she decided to throw a double quince um, and the party was uh, part of a fundraiser for transgendered service members. Uh, it was really um, thoughtful, uh, very fun, uh, like I said, political, without being mm -hmm. heavy-handed. Uh, and also that particular party also served as a wonderful excuse for the entire cast to come together and work through some of their, their dramas and storylines. Um, I really, really like this show a lot. Yeah, it's really good. It's... 
I was hesitant on it as we started watching it because, my God, some of these people make bad choices. But it's really grown on me a lot. And this particular episode was everything you said and quite moving as well. Yeah. One last thing we want to mention. Uh, one show that we recently binged is called What If? Uh, and that premiered on Netflix not too long ago. Um, guys, this is one hell of a bat crap crazy melodrama. <laughs> and it's from creator Mike Kelly. And the show focuses on a young scientist with a biotech company. And she gets funding from a venture capitalist named Anne Montgomery, played by Renee Zeltweger. Now, the the main reason for recommending this show is Renee Zellweger's performance. Um, it, she's like part dragon lady, part icy high priestess, like bitch queen. She's absolutely everything you could ever ask for in a like ruthless soap opera villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's absolutely she is not Bridget Jones. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, like I said, this show is bonkers in the absolute best possible way. And um, for uh, listeners of this particular show, it's worth noting that the uh, scientist's brother and his boyfriend um, end up hooking up with a, I guess I could describe him as sort of like a shaman-like go-go boy who um, yeah. <laughs> forces the two of them to go on a kind of a journey of self-discovery. There's a lot of like interlocking plot and storylines uh, about family and trust. Uh, it's really, I don't even know. I, there aren't enough adjectives. Yeah. It's just bonkers. It was really wonderful. It was a lot bonkers, of bonkers, but it was good. If you watched Revenge back in the day on ABC, Mike Kelly also created Revenge, and he's managed to not mess this show up too much. <laughs> um, and I understand it's supposed to be an anthology series, which means if it comes back on Netflix for a season two, that we could see a whole different story and a whole different cast, or, or maybe the same cast. So, interested to see what comes next here, too. Yeah, I can't wait. So, that was TV. Um, we would now like to recommend a new book. Indeed, yes. I have been reading uh, In Case You Forgot, uh, which is a novel from Frederick Smith and Chaz Lamar. Now, these are both brand new authors to me. Uh, Frederick's actually got some other books out, and I believe this is Chaz's first novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved this collaboration. Uh, Frederick and Chaz are two black gay men writing about two black gay men uh, who live in West Hollywood. And this year in the life story really left me wanting sequels because I want to read even more about these two interesting characters. Uh, Zaire James and Kenny Kane are in very similar positions in their life. Uh, Coming up on his 30th birthday, uh, Zaire has decided it's time to separate from his husband, even though a lot of his family and friends thought Mario was the perfect guy for him. Uh, Kenny, on the other hand, is approaching 40 and uh, in a a very brutal move was dumped by his boyfriend, Brandon Malik, via text as Kenny was en route to his mother's funeral. Both of these guys need a reboot. It's pretty obvious. Uh, For Zaire, that means he's going to move into West Hollywood. And it happens that he moves in across the street from Kenny. Uh, Zaire's got himself a new job at a social media firm, and he's looking for what comes next. He's got a family that wants him to find it, too. The James Gang siblings, which are his brother Harlem and his sisters Langston and Savannah, are always on him to get his life together and find his happy. Now, Kenny, on the other hand, is working on getting his consulting business off the ground since he's recently finished his doctorate. He's trying to mostly focus on the business, but he too wants Mr. Right. But Kenny's carrying a lot of baggage because his first boyfriend, Jeremy, kind of died in his arms following a stabbing. Kenny's working on his life through therapy. So you might be asking yourself, what happens in this book? It's life. And that's really one of the things I liked about it. Kenny and Zaire at times are together and at times separate in this book. They're looking for a good date that might lead to more. They celebrate birthdays and experience all kinds of success and failures. And it's the last line of this book's description that actually captures its essence perfectly. They hope new opportunities, energy, mindsets, and connection will reinvigorate what is missing in their lives, drama and all. And that's exactly what I liked about this book. This slice of life feel. It's happy and it's sad. It's angry, messy, 
full of great triumph and some really bad mistakes. And it takes a lot to make this kind of loose plot work, especially since the two lead characters aren't always together as this year progresses. Frederick and Chaz make all this work, though, and one of the reasons it does is a tremendous cast of supporting characters with family, friends, roommates, and co-workers, and even the occasional date and hookup along the way. Among my favorite things that they do in this book is their use of social media. The characters really use this to plan their lives, sometimes even stalking their exes via Instagram, and some of this leads to a lot of chagrin between the family and friends who are trying to help them actually move on. There's also a Labor Day trip to Palm Springs that I think was my favorite sequence in the entire book because of the realness of how it all unfolded and how it tweaked Kitty and Zaire's relationships. The characters reminded me a lot of a show called Noah's Ark, which is a show that we both love that ran on Logo in 2005 and then was a movie in 2008. The show focused on queer men of color in various states of relationships, and Kitty and Zaire would actually fit right in here. And if you wanted to acquaint this to modern TV, I think there's a lot in this book that actually reminds me of Good Trouble mm-hmm. a lot in how it's just these people are just living their lives and doing their thing. Yeah. yeah. And you could also kind of connect it to This Is Us without all the time, the time hopping that goes on there. Now, I do want to set some expectations around this book. As you may have figured out, this is not a romance. It's categorized that way on the retailer sites, and I think that's wrong. It doesn't have any of the typical romantic story beats, and and most importantly, while Kenny and Zaire date for a bit in the middle of the book, they don't get an HEA or an HFN as a couple, although this book does end with both characters in good places. And I say this because I've seen uh, reviews on these sites that are like, this isn't a romance, and it's not. So go into it realizing that you're just reading a really good piece of gay fiction here. So if you want a great book, with a look at a year in the life of terrific characters who are trying to get their lives together, I highly recommend, in case you forgot. And as I said, I would really love some sequels here. So, you know, <laughs> Frederick and Chaz, think about writing actual romances for these two, because I think they'd be so good. Now, these two are going to be doing a Q&A reading and signing this coming Friday, July 12th at 6.30 at the Lavender Library in Sacramento. So if you're in the area, it'd be really cool to see you there. I know I'm going, and if I can work it out, we're going to bring you a live stream of their reading as well. Fantastic. Now, remember, if you want more details on any of the shows or books or, frankly, anything else that we've mentioned in this particular episode, simply go to the show notes page at BigGayFictionPodcast.com for episode 196. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash BigGayFictionPodcast and see what we get up to next. And just a reminder, we live record on Facebook on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 Pacific. So if you'd like to drop by and see us do that, we would love to have you there. Now, this week, we got to talk to Roan Parrish, who I've wanted to have on the show for a while now because I've been enjoying her writing. We're going to talk about the latest in the Ribbon series, which is called Rays. And I'll also discuss one of my favorite books from last year, the one that she wrote with Avon Gale called Thrall. Welcome, Roan, to the podcast. It is so great to finally have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And it's a perfect opportunity because just last week you released Rays, which is the third book in the Riven series. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, tell us about the series and, of course, this latest installment. Sure. Um, so Riven starts out with the book Riven, also the series title, and it's kind of an anti-rock star romance. Um, it's about, uh, Theo, who's a, the lead singer of the band Riven and they've suddenly hit it big and are super famous and everyone in the band loves being famous and their success. And Theo hates it. He hates being famous. He hates being the center of attention. He hates like people knowing things about him or looking at him when he leaves the house. So he loves the music, but he finds fame like the worst thing ever. And so he's about to go off on a new leg of the tour and is sort of like wandering the streets of New York, feeling a little bit sorry for himself. Um, when he hears this song 
coming from a bar, like someone just strumming guitar. And it's one of the most beautiful things he's ever heard. So he goes in the bar to see who's playing this or what the song is. And he meets Caleb, who's the one playing the music. And Caleb, we learn later, is has been a musician for a long time, a working musician, but has sort of gone away from the scene and hidden himself away in his uncle's house out of town um, because he's had some addiction issues and he's trying to stay clean by staying away from everything that reminded him of the scene, including music. So they start to talk to each other and they bond over music and then little by little they fall in love. The problem being, of course, that for, for Theo being in the scene and being public is kind of part of his thing. And for Caleb, everything about that just brings back a lot of bad memories. Um, so they have to sort of work together to figure out how that's going to impact their relationship and if they can get through it. Um, and then it kind of takes a, a left, a hard left. I feel like this is the thing that I should say for people who haven't read the series is that the series really does hang together. It has the same secondary characters. It deals with, um, a lot of the same themes, like the themes of ending up someplace that you never thought you would be. Um, but then in book two, we meet Reese, or we've met Reese in book one, but we talk, or we have a book about Reese, who was Caleb's best friend, and Reese's husband, Matt. And Matt has nothing to do with the music scene. And the book is told from his perspective. Um, so for people who go in expecting that the whole series is about music, it is in some ways like music is a through line and certainly this idea of fame and this idea of struggling with fame is a through line. But, um, book one is sort of anti rock star. And then book two is like working musician and person who's not involved with music at all. So I feel like that's a thing I should say. And but then it does hang together because you've got the working musician, yeah, totally. And Reese, who is the working musician, is someone who toured with Caleb um, when when Caleb was still playing music. So the characters all hang together and the series hangs together, but it's not a kind of musician book, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, since it's yeah from the that makes sense. Yeah. And then Rays, which is book three, it also hangs together. Um, Rays is sort of about, it's similarly about characters ending up someplace that they never thought they would be. And in this book, we meet um, Huey, who was in the first two books and has been a sort of a little bit of a shadowy figure who we never knew his backstory. We didn't know who he is. He just pops in and dispenses wisdom and pops out again and doesn't say much else. Um, and so he's someone who he was Caleb's sponsor in Narcotics Anonymous and he's still been working as a sponsor and he is so used to taking care of everyone else, being a sponsor, helping people work through their own addiction, addiction issues, dealing with his own, um, that he doesn't really ever focus on his own life. He's built up this kind of wall of focusing on everyone else. So he never has to think about himself. Um, and we meet Felix who is doing the same thing, taking care of everyone else but himself, but through his family instead of through, uh, NA. So he grew up and helped take care of his younger brothers and sisters and always helped his sister get whatever she wanted and has now found himself as his sister goes off to do her music thing, um, found himself kind of like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Who am I? I kind of forgot to ever notice what I wanted. And so the two of them come together and two people who are so used to looking out for everyone except themselves, as you can imagine, when it comes down to trying to make a relationship, they kind of don't know how to do it. They don't know how to ask for what they want. They don't even know what they want from each other. Um, and so feelings kind of bubble up and nobody knows what to do with them. And then it ends really happily. <laughs> <laughs> As all romance must. <laughs> As they must. And there's even a kitten, so. Aw. Yeah. What attracted you to writing this series? You know, I think that they're, they're um, themes that go together. Um, the the musician stuff, I, I, love, I love music, and I've always been a huge music fan. And one of the things that I've always thought was interesting is that music is so personal, to me anyway, and I, I know for many other people, like each of us listens to music and feels something deep, deeply personal 
and has associations that are deeply personal and something about the like the weirdness of something so personal experienced on a large scale of fame has always struck me as really odd. So you can be at a concert with a band and have thousands and thousands of people there. And each person has been hit with this music in a really personal way. And yet we're all there together in a super public space, having kind of a personal experience, like smushed up together with each other. And I've just always found that, really strange and um and I know for people who make music the process of making music is really personal and it's really different than the process of performing music and so I think I was interested in what would it feel like to do something really personal in front of a lot of people and then watch as this thing that you've made gets loosed on the world and you no longer have any control over it or what people think of it um and to me being famous seems like absolutely the worst thing I can imagine outside of like actual torture. Um, (laughs) And I know that for some people that's not the case, but uh, yeah. So I was interested in writing like the genre of rock star romance is a thing. And I was interested in looking at it from the perspective of what would a rock star romance look like if instead of rock star being a desirable thing, it was a terrible thing or a a thing that caused a lot of problems for the rock star. Mm -hmm. What was the, process around some of the research because like you you talk about this very personal thing how do you research that and then how do you turn around and put it in a book so everybody else gets it yeah you know i i mean i i don't know i can't really (laughs) claim that i did it correctly um i've never been a musician i like sang karaoke to paula abdul once with five other people very drunk in college and that's about my performance level um but I, my sister-in-law, my sister's wife is a musician and she's very personal and writes very personal music and then performs it. And, um, and I went, I, you know, I've been to many of her shows obviously. And I went on, on tour with her in Europe once, like carrying her stuff and hanging on for the ride. And one thing that struck me was like, people would come up to her after the show and tell her like, your music has meant so much to me. I was going through such a hard time and your music spoke to me in these really hard moments. And so I, I would see that and I know that people are having these personal responses and have personal relationships with the music. And I know that my sister-in-law does as well. And then like the moment that they, the two of them would be having together would be personal, but there was still this whole performance element that I kind of, yeah, it just seems like a very strange crucible of, the personal and the public smushed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the performativity of that in some way, like hides the personalness or not hides necessarily, but like it, you need a little bit of distance, like the lights and the smoke machine and the darkness and the space between the, the stage and the crowd to insulate you a little bit in order to take something that's so personal and project it out in public. I love how you kind of had the personal research going on there that you actually went on this tour and got to see all of it kind of go down about as close to it as you could without being the actual performer. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome. And I mean, this is like I've I've had many friends who do music and I so I I knew that if I had like specific questions, you know, I had some questions about like the studio stuff and how you lay down tracks that I was able to ask friends about, but I really do think it's like the feeling of performing that I was trying to capture and the sense of what it felt like to have something that was yours, like the music and then watch other people make it theirs. And although I've never been a performer in any way, I mean, that's a little bit like what happens with books is that I sit at home in my pajamas, like with cat hair all over me and I write these books. And then when they're published, it's not mine anymore. It belongs to the people who read it and I don't really have any control over it. So that part was easy to kind Mm -hmm. of understand. Now, of course you mentioned your love of music and your bio actually mentions that you listen to torch songs and <laughs> melodic death metal. Now there, I get eccentricity because my playlists are like wildly, you know, strangely <laughs> hooked together in some way. But these two seem very different. Um, what attracts you to these two individual styles? 
I think I was trying to write my bio in a way that was, you know, like on dating sites, you want to say the two things that seem most opposed. So you can be like, listen, this is what you're getting is a human being who is essentially at odds with themselves. Maybe that's just me. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I love both of those genres. I, I think they, they are both simultaneously really raw and really beautiful. Like Torch songs I love because they are heartbroken and tender and they tell a story and they're so vulnerable and beautiful. And melodic death metal is like doing the same thing, only it can't be vulnerable or like it needs a really harsh bass riff and loud guitar and loud drums in order to do something that's that tender and that personal. And I find not like screamy death metal, but yeah, melodic death metal. I find it like one of those puppies that growls at you until you get a little bit closer. And then little by little, it sort of lets you pet it. And then by the time you're petting it, it's like, Oh no, I really do love this. Please don't ever stop petting me. But then like someone else walks in the room and they're all growly again. I love that analogy. (laughs) So (laughs) awesome. With the Riven series seems such an obvious thing to perhaps write to music. If you're a writer who does that, was there a particular like set of playlists that sort of pushed you along in this, in the writing of the series? You know, I actually didn't listen to music at all writing the series, which is sort of strange when you say it like that. Um, I go through phases of whether I like to write with music on or not. And there have been books that I've written where I listen to the same music over and over. Um, like when I wrote, Oh God, what book was it? Oh, out of nowhere, which is the second book in the middle of somewhere series. I listened like obsessively to the civil wars just over and over and over. And for some reason, the mood of those albums was like exactly the mood that I needed to be in to write that book. Um, but with, with the ribbon series, I didn't listen to music at all. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And none of the music in the books is real. Um, it like I made up all the band names and all of the the music, and I wonder if maybe part of it was like I didn't want real music in my head because I was making it up. That would make sense. Yeah, if you're if you're having to write any kind of song lyrics or anything inside the book, I could <laughs> see where you wouldn't want to like accidentally just pick up something. Right. Well, and it was super adorable actually because um, one of my best friends who reads all my stuff first. Um, is like, she likes music a lot, but she's like a top 40 radio kind of taste music person. And so she thought that all of the musical references in my books in the Riven series were real because she knows that I like lots of different kinds of music and she just didn't know that they were fake at all, which I found totally adorable. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) So you could have an extra career then as a songwriter if you're writing lyrics. Maybe a band namer. I like I like the band names more. So I have to ask for the audiobook then since you've got song lyrics, does that mean your your narrator is actually um, singing the lyrics? Did you make Iggy sing and Chris sing? I, no, and you know, I actually don't think that I have a chunk of lyrics long enough to be sung in the the there are like a couple snippets. Um but I didn't even think about the fact that I could have written a song of it for the for the audiobook. That would have been awesome. Too late. Something to think about maybe for a future book or another installment in the series. Yeah, yeah, I could do it as like an extra or something, I guess. And and speaking of the series, is there more to come in this series? There's not. Like like the good place that we were talking about earlier, I have decided that book 3 is the end. Time to wrap up that universe. Yeah. And, you know, I like I say that and obviously I maybe I would go back in the future and write another one. But um, I think the the fact that the last book is about a character whose story we've kind of been wondering about for the whole series, it felt like a good place to stop because it's sort of the um, the wrap up of like solving the last interpersonal mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that felt like the right place to stop. And there are definitely tendrils. Um, Like people who've read a bunch of my books will notice that Riven, the band is mentioned in another book. 
and that uh, some characters from the Middle of Somewhere series are briefly alluded to in Riven. Um, so they're like little Easter eggs for people who have read all the books because I sort of think of everything as being connected in that way. Uh, so it'll pop back up, I'm sure. I love that. I love the the broad interconnected universe thing. Yeah, yeah. I just it, secretly in my head, all of the books are connected in lots of ways that I don't necessarily put on the page. But like, I like to let a couple get a couple in there. Nice. <laughs> now, you also sometimes co-write with Avon Gale. Mm-hmm. What got that collaboration going? You know, that collaboration happened completely by accident um, or on a whim, I should say. And I'm so glad it did. So I was living in New Orleans a couple years ago and Avon and I were friends on the internet. And um, she offered when I was moving back from uh, New Orleans to Philadelphia, she was like, I love a road trip. What if I fly to New Orleans and drive with you because it's a mini day drive and you have a cat and you'll, I had like my, my truck and then I had my car hitched to the back of the truck and it was a whole big thing. So I was like, oh, great, this will be fun. So we started driving from Louisiana to Pennsylvania, and it was like a torrential downpour, and we could kind of, we couldn't hear the the radio, we couldn't do anything. And so Avon was like, okay, well, I'll just tell you about this book that I've been working on, and I am really stuck on it. I can't get the plot right. So I was like, okay. And I'm pretty introverted, and Avon is very extroverted, and we (laughs) knew this going That is very true. She is. Yes. And we were like, you know, I really just love a clear communicator. So I loved it. She was like, basically, I talk constantly. And if you want me to stop, you have to tell me to stop. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. I run out of steam socially in approximately two and a half hours. And I'm still listening to you, but I won't respond. And she was like, okay, great. Um, and, and thus it was. And so she basically narrated to me the entire plot of this book that she was trying to write. And she was having trouble with it. And I kept doing this probably obnoxious thing where I was like, oh, what if you did this? Or what if you did that? Or, oh my gosh, it's so funny because if that were me, I would totally do this. And she, instead of being annoyed, was like, well, you should obviously write this book with me. And that book was what turned into Heart of the Steel, which is the first book we wrote together. And it was so fun because then as we were driving, we just plotted the whole book and she had her little like computer that she was typing on while we while we drove and I drove the truck the whole way and so I would like yammer at her and she would take notes and then we would in the hotel rooms at night we would kind of hash it out um and so it happened on a on a total whim and then turned out to be really fun and we had so we planned it on that trip and then I went and visited her um months later I guess yeah, some months later. And we actually wrote Thrall, which was um, the second book that we co-wrote together, like in the same place. So we wrote it like w- together, even though we don't live in the same place. So it was two very different um, writing experiences, but both equally awesome. That's fantastic. And I have to imagine it's a nice way to kill the time in a road trip to just plot oh, a book. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And it's really fun because I don't know about about you or about other writers in general, but like I find that traveling is one of the the best like brain what do you call it? Like catalyzers, brain catalyzers. Um something about moving through space constantly, whether it's like on a train or just walking or whatever, it's like the rhythm of moving through space makes my brain also work in a forward rhythm, and I find myself excuse me, getting so many ideas when I'm just like walking a long distance or on a train or on a bus or something. And so something about driving and plotting the the thing together was like super, uh, some word. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Might be better than awesome, but awesome is the first thing that (laughs) popped into my head. And I I totally get what you're talking about there too, because I've done a lot of plotting and some writing on planes. Yeah. Because it's just like, yeah, there's something about just that, that just you've got the time and like the brain's working, so use it. Yeah. And it's like looking out the window of something moving through that kind of space with everything passing so quickly, it almost feels like it it changes the rhythm of thoughts or something. Yeah. And kudos to Avon for being able to type in a moving vehicle, because I don't know that I could do that. (laughs) Oh, my God. She is like motion sickness proof. I swear to God. (laughs) That's just crazy. Oh, I know. But we've definitely got to talk a little bit about Thrall. 
okay. I reviewed it back in episode 157 and was just blown away by it. For folks who don't know, tell us about what that book is and, and what, in fact, does make it so special. Sure. Um, so Thrall is our modern Dracula retelling, basically. And <clears throat> for anyone who's read Dracula, you'll remember that Dracula is told, uh, it's an epistolary novel, so it's told through letters and diary entries and um, like newspaper clippings, telegrams, stuff like that. Um, and so we did Thrall in the same way. We made it an epistolary novel, but since ours was modern and that one was 19th century, instead of letters and journal entries and stuff like that, we have emails and G chats and tweets and, uh, podcast descriptions and stuff like that. So all of the, so the whole thing is written in that way. Um, this, this combination of different media, print media. Um, and then our, t so we have the, the main characters that people will recognize from Dracula, um, and Mina and Lucy, who are the, the two characters that people will know from Dracula in our version are, have a podcast, a true crime podcast in New Orleans, and they get caught up in basically trying to solve the mystery of Lucy's brother who seems to have disappeared and so in getting caught up in that mystery, they stumble upon this uh, role-playing game kind of thing where they use an app and they go to different places and they try to solve clues, hoping that it will take them to Lucy's brother. And so in addition to it being an epistolary form in general for the whole book, then kind of within that epistolary form, there's this mystery that they're trying to solve on a computer, I mean, on a phone app. Uh, so it's like a game inside an epistolary novel that's an adaptation of another epistolary novel. And epistolary is just not something you see very much. At least I don't, in the, in the, especially in the romance genre that I tend to read in general. Uh, what was it like as a writer and, and just plotting to take on such a different narrative format? Yeah, it was awesome. It was really, really cool. Um, I love form. Like I'm super interested in what different things you can do with form. And one of the things that like when I'm reading other things I'm always interested in is what form did this author choose? Whether it's something simple like uh, short chapters or long chapters or like uh, flashbacks versus telling everything in order. <clears throat> all that stuff I think has such an impact on the way the story gets delivered. And so I was really excited to play with the form. And I think that with, with the genre of romance, one of the reasons why we don't see epistolary stuff so often is that there's, it's like an additional level of remove between the two characters. And romance seems to me to be all about uh, intimacy and connection. And um, sure, it can be really romantic or sexy to, write a love letter or love email, I guess in 2019. Um, but there's still something where you're not in the moment. There's no like tracking a touch as it happens or a kiss or whatever it is. And so I think that going into the, into thrall, we were like, how the hell do we make a romance happen when the characters essentially are never in the same scene? Like in order to be texting each other, they probably aren't together. In order to be chatting each other, they're probably not together. And so any evidence of an encounter, which is all we could show, also demonstrated their distance. Um, so that was a challenge and we got around it in a couple different ways, including characters literally writing out sex scenes that they wished would happen, like mm -hmm. fantasies, um, having chats that were more intimate but yeah the romance part I think was actually the hardest to to portray via the epistolary form because it introduces that necessary distance which is sort of the the anti-romance it was much easier for example for the mystery or the suspense parts because it's those things can be portrayed that way no problem but yeah the romance part was tricky well I, I, as I said in the review I think you guys pulled it off so amazingly that people have not read thrall they should really pick it up and give it a try oh thanks because uh, it's might be a little much to call it a breath of fresh air but it's certainly going to be something very different than what i think most people tend to read 
Yeah, it definitely is different. And it's one of those books that Avon and I knew going in that it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, it's an it's an adaptation. It's an adaptation of Dracula. It's an adaptation of Dracula without vampires. <laughs> um, it's a romance where you don't ever see the characters touch necessarily. Um, but like, I feel like for people who are interested in form, for people who are interested in Dracula or interested in suspense and all that stuff, um, we were really excited to just do something totally new for us. Yeah, well, it was super cool. Please do more of that sometime. I would love to. So looking at a little bit of your origin story, how did you get involved in writing MM Romance? You know, at the risk of making it sound completely accidental, it was kind of accidental. Um, I, my good friend from graduate school got a job um, in Phoenix and didn't know very many people. She didn't have many friends and she and I had started, both started reading, um, both young adult and MM mysteries in grad school. And so I went to go visit her and she was having a hard time. Like I said, she didn't know very many people, didn't have any friends. And she just wanted like escape reading. And she, we were like in the kitchen cooking dinner or something. And she was saying that she just wished that there was a, like a romance novel that she could read about someone who was in her situation. So someone who was a new professor in a new place, didn't know very many people and was kind of struggling to fit in. And because she's my friend and I wanted to make it all better, I was like, oh, no worries. I'll write you a story. Everything's going to be okay. So on the plane home from Arizona, I wrote the first chapter of what would eventually be in the middle of somewhere, my first book, thinking that like I would send it to my friend and she would read it and be like, you are such a nerd. I can't believe you actually wrote me this story. I was just complaining. You're weird. Um, but instead, she she read it and wrote back and was like, oh, a story. Oh, my gosh. What happens next? And of course, I didn't know what happened next because there was no next. I thought that it was going to be a little one off thing. Um, but then I wrote the next chapter and I emailed it to her and she wrote back and was like, what happens next? And I actually wrote the whole first half of the book that way, just chunking out a chapter, emailing it to my friends. And I was really writing it for her. I never thought I would show it to anyone. I never intended to send it to a publisher. Um, I didn't even have a, a plot. I just was writing these little sections and around halfway through the book, I suddenly realized that like it was getting kind of long and I should probably figure out how it was going to end. Otherwise I would just end up writing this, this like email missive to my friend forever, um, <laughs> which was really fun. But also I thought she would get sick of it eventually. Um, and then when I finished the book, I thought that was going to be the end of it. And it was my friend who was like, no, you should totally try to publish it. And I would, I owe it all to her. I, it never occurred to me to send it to anyone and I would never have done it if she hadn't made me. Well, kudos to her for making that happen. And that's like the best accident story ever. <laughs> I mean, just amazing. Were you writing before that at all? Or was this just really like, Hey, I can write, I'll write you something. No worries. Well, you know, I've always written different things. I wrote, um, I was a poetry major in college of all the super useful things to pursue. Um, and so I wrote poetry, I wrote some, some short fiction, and then I did my PhD in literature. So I wrote non, you know, I wrote a dissertation. I wrote nonfiction uh, for years and years and years. Um, but I've always loved to write and um, I love reading novels. And so sitting down to write a novel, I think it actually helped that I, I wasn't thinking of it as writing a novel. I just thought of it as, writing this story for my friends. So I didn't have any of the self-consciousness or like that internal editorial voice that I'm sure if I had planned to send it out would have like killed me as I was trying to start. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of like what to get back to your original question, which I don't know that I actually answered in terms of like why MM romance specifically. Um, I hate misogyny and sexism and can't deal with stories that are stories where I read female characters and feel intensely alienated from them. And I find often in romance, not all by any means, there are some amazing, amazing, like revolutionarily amazing um, people writing romance with, with women. But I've often found that reading romance novels 
that are like heterosexual romance stories make me feel alienated and angry and the opposite of anything that I associate with romantic. And so, um, yeah. Who are some of your author influences? Oh man. Well, you know, growing up, I read everything. I'm a real like moody reader. So I go through phases and when I'm in that phase, that's all I read. So like, uh, when I was in elementary school, I was obsessed with Essie Hinton, The Outsiders and Rumblefish, those books. Mm-hmm. Um, and she writes with this very kind of like spare style, but lots of sensory detail. And I think that that's definitely something that I've always really admired was the ability to evoke feeling even while being very spare. Um, and then when I was in middle school, I was obsessed with Anne Rice obviously, because middle school. Uh, And I read her books over and over and over. And I think that um, she is like the master of the kind of Baroque sentence structure that when you're deep in reading one of her books, you don't notice that she's like, in a strange Yoda way, like flipping sent like a subject and predicate to make things sound more flourishy and purple prosy you don't notice it because you're so deep in it that like of course that character would talk that way but if you go and you read another author or another book you realize suddenly what she was doing and so I think from her I got just like I really respected this immersive detail rich all the senses engaged kind of writing um also I really love long books uh and the the like ability to sustain a story over 800 pages and keep going with this level of detail. I just, I mean, I know it's not everyone's bag. Like some people really like a short one and done, but I mean, I will read a series that goes on forever if I'm still engaged. And I just think that she does that incredibly well. Mm -hmm. Um, then, oh gosh, that I'm really, I'm taking you on a tour. I don't know if this is actually answering your question. It is actually. Yeah. Okay, good. The real answer is like, I learn things from every single author I read. And sometimes it's things that I don't ever want to do. And sometimes it's things that I'm, my mind is blown. Cause I'm like, holy crap, I didn't even know you could do that. Um, sometimes it's like, I feel like I'm weak in one area at a moment. And so I want to go read someone who I think does something really well and try to try to learn it. Um, but yeah, I think like those early influences, um, Oh, Francesca Leah Block was a huge influence when I was a teenager. She writes this kind of magical realism that is like very urban, set in LA, um, deals with real world problems, but has this like pink fog over the entire thing. And I was really, really taken by that, um, that way of combining urbanity with fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely something that I took from her. Uh, I went through a really deep, like, uh, epic historical fiction kick, um, which maybe is that same kind of like very immersive detailed, huge cast of characters, um, all that stuff. And, uh, oh gosh, I'm totally blanking on her. Oh, Sharon K. Penman is her name. Um, and she, there's this story. Okay. Sorry. This is maybe a tangent, but I, this story blows my mind and is like, uh, one of the more impressive things I've ever heard in my life, if you'll indulge me for a moment. Of course. Um, so Sharon K. Pemmon writes these like hugely epic, uh, 1,000 page long um, British Isles historical fiction. And she wrote this book called The Sun and Splendor in like, I want to say the early 80s, maybe mid 80s. And the book is epically long and just detail and hundreds and hundreds of characters and like tons of things translated into Welsh. Um, it's about Welsh civil wars or wars with, with England. Anyway, um, she wrote the book and like on a typewriter and had it in one of those, you know, the boxes that reams of paper come in that when people use stuff, you would put your manuscript in this book. So she was going to drive her book to her publisher and she stopped at the bank to like deposit a check or something. And when she came back out, her car had been stolen with the copy of the book inside. The only copy of the book, which I don't even know how that happens. But so the, the car is stolen. She's just sure she's never going to get it back. 
And whereas, like, I don't know, I would probably immediately go home and, like, order seven pizzas and you wouldn't see me for a month, she drove home and started writing the book again. Wow. I would have done the seven pizza thing and walked away for, like, at least a week. (laughs) Yeah, like, I I would have told every single person who would listen that my life's work had been ripped from me and it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me and all, which, you know, I think that's actually speaking pretty well of my life that that would be the worst thing. But, um, yeah, I just, like, that level of tenacity and dedication to a product, a project, I just blows my mind. Anyway, she's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. And just like, I can't even imagine it. It, it speaks so well to these days where we're like, did you back that up on Dropbox? <laughs> yeah, someone's like, oh man, I just spent like 20 minutes writing that email and it got wiped. And I'm like, Sharon K. Penman. <laughs> <laughs> so what's coming up next for you? What, what What's yet to come this year? Um, well, do you want to be the first person to know? Because I actually just found out yesterday. Ooh, breaking news. Breaking news. Um, yeah, I just sold a new book, which I'm pretty excited about. And it's <laughs> okay. The, the conception is, or the, the concept is, um, there is a guy who has a bunch of animals. He's like kind of antisocial, kind of pissed off at the world for reasons that I will not divulge yet. And he likes animals better than people. So he has all these rescue dogs and a bunch of cats that hang around. And basically all he wants to do is take his dogs on these long rambling walks and think about how fucked up his life has gotten. Uh, It's the only thing keeping him sane is just like rambling walks with these dogs. And one night he is walking with the dogs and one of them starts chasing something and he starts chasing the dog and falls down a hill and breaks his ankle. So all of a sudden he can't do the one thing that he has liked, which is walk his dogs. So he goes online and he finds this app that like match makes pet owners with people who want to hang out with animals but can't have pets of their own because he's looking for someone who could help him walk his dogs since he can't do it anymore. Then you have this other character who's super shy, lives with his grandma, is like – has been saving up to try to like get a new apartment so that he could have a dog. And then his grandfather dies. He has to move in with his grandmother and he can't have an animal because she's desperately allergic. So he goes on the website or the the app or whatever matchmaker app and gets matched with this dude who needs someone to walk his dogs. And so the meet cute is a dog walking app and a grouch meets a shy guy and lots of animals and love. Well, this sounds awesome. When do we get to, when do we get to see this? I'm guessing 2020 sometime. I think so. I don't actually. I don't have a date on it. Um, I'll I'll start working on it soon. Um, but yeah, I think it's gonna be like cute ish in tone. And I don't know. I keep like accidentally writing animals into every single one of my books, and I don't even mean to. And this time, I was like, well, I mean, I keep doing it by accident. Maybe this time, I'll just like actually do it on purpose. Awesome. Looking forward to that. And what's the best way people can keep up with you online and find out when this next thing comes out? Mm. Uh, Well, they can check out my website, roanparish.com, where I post all things that exist. Um, And then in terms of social media, I've been very active on Instagram stories lately. I just bought a house, my first house, like the first non-one-bedroom apartment that I've been living in. And I've been doing all these like garden planting and baking and projects and stuff. So I've, I've been really liking Instagram stories. So people should follow me there and tell me all the things that I'm doing wrong in my garden. It may not be things you're doing wrong. I mean, it's my first time and I feel like I'm doing everything wrong, but we'll see. It might grow. I bet it does. And congratulations on the first house. That's such a huge thing. Oh, thank you. I I really went it, like in the space of one month from a person who thought that they would always live in one bedroom apartments to a person who bought a house. And so it was very shocking for me. I keep wandering to the extra room and being like, what's going to go in here? I don't know. <laughs> it's part of the fun of home ownership. <laughs> yeah. I, mostly it's like my cat goes in there and that's what happens. 
Um, oh yeah, but so I, I mean, I'm on all the social media things. I'm everywhere as Rowan Parish, and people can find me. But Instagram Stories is totally the most fun. And for people who like want to know about when books are coming out, but don't dig the social media vibe, BookBub is a great place to find me because they'll just get emails when I have books coming out or on sale. Fantastic. Well, we will link up to everything we talked about uh, in the show notes. We wish you the best of luck with the release of Rays. And uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Oh, thanks so much. It was a blast. This week's interview transcript was brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Roan for hanging out and talking about Riven and Rays and Thrall and all those good books. Uh, I did ask her when we were done with the recording if she would give us some examples of those torch songs and melodic death metal that she likes so much. And there's quite a few that are listed in the show notes if you want to check those out. Fantastic. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Remember, you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. The additional support of our super fans helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this podcast. Joining is super easy, and you'll get special access to monthly bonus episodes, the opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests, and lots more. For all the details, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up next week in episode 197, we're talking to Jackie Gregg, and she's the publisher of the online romance magazine, Blush. It was great to talk to Jackie to find out what the origin of this magazine was. You and I both enjoy it. We've been subscribers uh, from the beginning, and it's so packed with good romance stuff. (laughs) If you're not uh, subscribing already, you're going to be wanting to do that by the time we're done talking to her. (laughs) Yeah. So, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.